the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. It is used at virtually every public official swearing-in ceremony. It's on the nightstand or it's inside of it. But most hotels and motels in America... Every serviceman has been provided a pocket edition who wants one. It's present at our weddings, our funerals. A good percentage of Americans own a heirloom edition. But for as wide as its availability might be, it is increasingly the least used and less understood and valued book, perhaps, in 21st century America. Sadly, yes, I am talking about Scripture. What can we do to reverse this trend? And how can we better understand the value of the insights that Scripture offers to everyday living? A new book out called The Key Ideas Bible Handbook, Understanding and Applying All the Main Concepts Book by Book, written by a gentleman who is no stranger to the KFAX audience. You knew him for many years as a, a frequent appearances on the Bible Answer Man program. In fact, he served as associate editor for the Christian Research Journal and the Christian Research Newsletter. He has authored more than 70 best-selling books, serves as president of Reasoning from the Scriptures Ministries, and he is with us tonight. Ron Rhodes, great to have you on the show. Well, thank you so much. It's always good to be with you. You know, Ron, always an irony when we talk about uh, Scripture, because as much as it seems to be, as I suggested in my opening remarks, revered within America, uh, sadly, not only is there a growing proportion of Americans who no longer use Scripture for day-to-day living, uh, there's a good percentage of Christians who kind of look at this book as, well, maybe a combination of some good stories, a lot of historical stuff, uh, Uh, but really perhaps have a lessening value or importance placed on its educational and applicable value to daily, daily living. Uh, Well, I think you're right about that. I think that today the thing that people are tending to do is to base their spirituality more on experience than on Scripture. Uh, It used to be that Christianity was considered a facts-based religion. In other words, it's based on the facts of the Bible. But it seems like the Bible has been issued out the back door, and experience, and even mysticism, has been brought in the front door. And so you're right, there are many Christians who just don't spend much time in Scripture. And In fact, one of the polls that I came across uh, indicated not only that very few Christians are reading the Bible, but the few Christians that are basically do it during the sermon on Sunday morning. And you know, some of those sermons are getting shorter and shorter these days, could be 15 minutes, 20 minutes, maybe 25 minutes. 
And I have to tell you, that's not enough time in the Word of God to understand what it really teaches. Well, moreover, Ron, I think a lot of those sermons are not only getting shorter, but they're also getting shorter on content coming from Scripture and lacking in a tremendous degree of context as well. And I guess to that degree, and maybe to the point of your book, The Key Ideas Bible Handbook, is this notion that um, there needs to be an understanding, an approach, so to speak, when it comes to reading Scripture and applying Scripture and not not everybody quite understands that. Well, I think you're right. You know, it's not just a matter of coming to an intellectual understanding of what the Bible teaches, but it's also supposed to touch the heart. It's supposed to be transformational. It's supposed to be life-changing. I must tell you, I grew up in a liberal church, and in that liberal church, there was not a whole lot of respect for the Bible as the Word of God. In fact, it was considered more to be the, the Word of man. And so we really didn't consider it to be something that was life-changing. But you see, then I had an encounter with Jesus Christ, and that changed everything. And one of the things I discovered is that the more I spent in God's Word, the deeper I went into God's Word, the more my love for Christ grew. There's a direct parallel there. And it seems like today that even though the Bible is everywhere present, all over the world, it's also invisible. Everybody has a copy, but no one reads it. And one of the things I wanted to do with my new book was to show people how transformational this book really is, how applicational and life-changing it really is. And so I'm basically going against the grain of society, and what I'm talking about is the fact that many say that the Bible is no longer relevant for living today. I challenge that. I think it is absolutely relevant to living today. And I take you from Genesis to the book of Revelation, and I show you all of the the, the really cool, life-changing concepts that are there. And so I'm excited about the book. And I have to be I have to be thoroughly candid with you, Ron. When I when I first got my hands on the book, I, I saw the title and I started counting. And I thought, well, son of a gun, uh, all 39 of the Old Testament are there. Oh, all 66 are there. <laughs> He's not getting. And, and I and I, while I offer that partially tongue in cheek, there's also I think this this notion that some believe that well, only portions of Scripture really apply to us today. Uh, some certainly suggest that and might go as far as to say, well, why do we need the entirety of Scripture? Why not a a Bible for today's living abridged edition? Well, that's a good question. And what I try to do in the book is to show people that it's not just the New Testament books. It's not just Old Testament books like Psalms and Proverbs, but rather it's every book in the Bible. This is what we call the whole counsel of God. And God himself told us that we need to understand the whole counsel of God. You know, I think it's helpful to do self-examinations of our spiritual lives. And when you do that, uh, sometimes the results of that self-examination may not be too encouraging. There's a lot of people I've spoken with who feel like maybe they're just not doing well spiritually. Some have said that they've got sort of a spiritual wasteland inside their heart. You know, to me, the Bible is the answer for that, because one of the things we learn from Scripture is that it has a reviving effect on the soul. So if you're a person who's in need of personal revival, this is the place to begin. And you can go from Genesis all the way to Revelation, and you can find applicational concepts in every book. And yes, I'm including books like Leviticus and Numbers and some of those books that nobody hardly ever reads. And so, again, the entire Bible is relevant, 
but for some reason, people have just bought the lie, and I think that lie came from the devil, by the way. They've bought the lie that the Bible has no relevance for today. Well, and perhaps part of this, too, is the fact that we're, we're sort of revealing this notion that we don't really know the true character of God, because if we did, we would understand that there's, there's not much that happens that is accidental, that God, in fact, is very intentional. And when you think about all of the challenges down through the millennia that uh, canon scripture faced in getting to us today in the complete form that it's in, then I've got to believe that God was being very intentional in not only creating the account, but making the account available to us all these years later from Genesis and the very opening passage to the final period in Revelation, and that the fact that the whole council, the totality of Scripture, is there at our disposal, and it's got to be for a reason. Well, you know, I'm so glad that you just said that. I mean, we're just really resonating. Uh, In fact, I've spoken entire sermons on this topic. The reality is, it goes back even further. It's not just that God gave us revelation in the Bible, but God even created human language. When God made man, he gave man and woman human language, not only so that we could communicate with each other, but so that we could communicate with God and God could communicate with us. And aren't you glad that God is not the kind of God who creates us and then leaves us on our own letting us wander around in the darkness trying to find out some truth. God is not that kind of God. God is the one who is the aggressor in making himself known. He not only created us, but he tells us everything that we need to know to make our lives run optimally. And when I say optimally, I'm not just talking about physical. I'm talking about our spiritual lives. I think that one of the things that we're missing today is that we're not just physical and emotional beings. We're physical, emotional, and spiritual, and each one affects the other. And so a lot of people today are walking around without that spiritual component based on Scripture. And those who do have a spiritual component sometimes have a false spirituality, whether it's a false religion or a cult or some strange version or aberration, even, of Christianity. Well, now, wait a minute, Ron. Now, you're, you're not suggesting, then, that if somebody, for example, takes Anthony Robbins' word or Deepak Chopra's <laughs> word over God's, that there's something wrong with that. <laughs> well, you know, um, I've actually sat under the teachings of some of those guys. I, I've, you know, I'm one of the researchers who actually goes to spend time with the people that I write about. So if I'm going to write about Deepak Chopra, for example, I'll go listen to his lectures in person. If I'm going to go write about psychics, and I've done that uh, in, in my work of apologetics, I actually go to the New Age conventions and I watch them do their stuff. So that way I really know what I'm talking about here. But here's the thing. One of the things that we learned from the Bereans in Acts 17 is that we ought to test everything against Scripture. No matter who says what, even no matter what Ron Rhodes says, you test it against Scripture. And as the Apostle Paul put it in 1 Thessalonians 5, we ought to test all things, and we hold on to the good, but we reject the bad. So I'll listen to what anybody says. I'll even listen to what Deepak Chopra says. But I'm going to test his words against Scripture. And anything that violates Scripture, uh, I'm going to turn away from. And that's not going to be a part of my spirituality. I think the passage is uh, try or test the spirits and see if they be of God. With us today... 
one of America's most outstanding Christian apologists, certainly of our times. Ron Rhodes is with us. We're talking about his new book, The Key Ideas Bible Handbook, Understanding and Applying All the Main Concepts Book by Book, newly published by Harvest House. And of course, you'll find it at bookstores throughout the Bay Area. You can also order it online through Ron's website at ronrhodes.org. That's ronrhodes.org. A brief time out back to more of our conversation with best-selling author and Christian apologist Ron Rhodes right after this. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to the program. Back to more of our conversation with Christian apologist and best-selling author Ron Rose. We made mention earlier on the fact that for a lot of people, sadly, the Bible has been used to record marriages and deaths, press flowers, maybe even hide a 20 spot for emergencies. But as Ron is suggesting, it's not by accident that God has made Scripture not only available to us, but as complete as it is so that there's more than just historical value to it. There's also educational and applicational value to it. And toward that end, Ron, let's dive a little bit deeper, because as tongue-in-cheek I mentioned earlier, sure enough, you didn't leave any of the books out. You've managed to extract and extrapolate from every single book of the Bible valuable lessons that are being taught that, in fact, do have a modern-day application to every single believer. I'm curious, even for your field of, of knowledge and expertise of Christian apologetics and the Scripture, were there some things in this process of doing the research and preparing for the new book that even came as a bit of a aha moment for you? Well, I have to say yes. In fact, uh, when I was going through the book of Revelation, that's not normally a book that you think of as having a lot of uh, applicational and transformational truths in. But I discovered that there's a whole lot of application there. Uh, For example, when you look at chapters 2 and 3, which are the letters to the seven churches in Asia Minor, there is just so much application there. For example, among the principles that I talk about are... Just as God is gloriously enthroned in heaven, so he must be enthroned upon our hearts. Boy, that's a big one. Mm -hmm. Uh, Another one is this. Take steps to avoid spiritual lethargy and spiritual blindness. You know, that's dealing with the church at Laodicea. And, you know, the whole point that I'm trying to make is, is, is that as you go through each book, whether it's the book of Revelation or some other book, There are some nuggets that you're going to find there that will absolutely change your life. And I must tell you that this all grew out of my own personal quiet times with the Lord. You know, when I spent time in Scripture, what I would often do is just write little principles down in the margin of my Bible. And that was such a blessing to me. And so I I just started to thinking, you know what, this is such a blessing to me. I wonder if this might also bless some other Christians out there. And and I started to wonder whether this is something that might excite other Christians about the Word of God. And so that was my motivation in writing this book. Is there also some effort in this process, Ron? And I I ask this question in all seriousness, particularly coming from uh, a region like the San Francisco Bay Area, where we have the lowest per capita church attendance in the nation. And oftentimes when we talk about either the, the grander topic or larger topic of Christianity or more specific to Scripture, uh, um, both are often either seen as irrelevant or extreme. Well, that's true, and I think that's a growing trend. The, the, the latest polls indicate that that's a growing viewpoint uh, among uh, people in America and around the world. 
But what I think we have to do is to sort of get, a, get rid of this smoke screen that's out there with people kind of blindly walking around and to give people something that they can use that works in real life. And that's what I'm trying to help people to understand, that the Bible is life-changing in our century. Here we are in 2017, and in 2017, this book can actually change your life for the better. This book can set you on fire spiritually. And uh, if there's one thing that I want people to get away from, it's the idea that Christianity is just head knowledge, you know, believing in certain ideas that might be interesting, but aren't life-changing. You see, the Bible doesn't just touch the head, it also touches the heart. And uh, from Genesis to Revelation, there are truths that can just really light up your life in a big way. And the more that people understand that, I think the more that uh, people will stop claiming that the Bible is irrelevant for today. Here's another question for you that I'm curious about. And and, uh, folks in the audience that are either engineers or mechanics or work in the technical field will understand this, that that typically for devices, it might be, well, in the radio industry, a a broadcast transmitter, or in the automotive industry, uh, your car, your truck, there are typically two manuals available. There is the technical manual that is written and intended for the guy that's going to get up underneath the hood and do repair work to your vehicle or the broadcast engineer that's going to keep the transmitter on the air. And then there's the operations manual. This is intended for the guy or gal that's going to sit behind the wheel every day and drive this vehicle down the road and needs to know how to apply things like how often do we change the oil, check the tire pressure, uh, where's the switch for the headlights, the emergency flashers, things of this sort. In in some respects, and forgive me if that's not the most accurate analogy, Ron, but in some respects, do you see the key ideas Bible handbook is sort of your your effort at providing sort of the owner's manual to Scripture so that believers can get that aha moment and see and understand and apply for themselves the nuggets of truth and the value that is hidden inside of, and sometimes not all that hidden, it's, it's more obvious if folks to just take the time to read it, but they're inside of all 66 books of the Bible so that we can extrapolate and then apply to our lives for daily application every aspect of these truths. Well, you know, I think that's a helpful analogy, and I think there's a certain amount of truth to that. Uh, I think it's not only kind of like a uh, operation manual that shows you how to operate your life, but it's also got some little nuggets in there for those who want to go deeper. I have all kinds of little outline boxes and quotes from people throughout church history that take people deeper. And, you know, uh, talking about an operator's manual, you know, I've purchased an awful lot of products in the past, and I'm kind of intuitive. Sometimes I put things together without looking at the instructions. And more than once, I have busted the thing just right there before I finished putting it together. <laughs> or, or, like on, or, or like on Christmas morning where you got the bicycle put together, but you're not quite sure what the 10 extra screws and nuts are for. Oh, uh, yeah. What are these screws for? <laughs> they must uh, be spares. Know, That's always my time. excuse. <laughs> but, uh, you know, the point that I'm making there is that in the same way, uh, if you don't operate your life according to the owner's manual, which is the Bible, well, you know what? You can bust your life up pretty quick. God is the one who created us. He knows exactly what makes our lives operate at at optimum levels, and he's revealed that in the Word of God. And if we choose to ignore the, the Word of God, then we're the ones that pay for it. 
So it's really in your own best interest to take this seriously. Well, and you know, contrary to the misconception that I think some have, that either come from a, a disenfranchised sort of jaded approach or others who have never been properly and fully instructed, the Bible is not intended to make our lives confusing, complicated, and more difficult. Um, it's it's not intended to be a, a headbuster, um, but rather intended to make life easier and smoother, and to allow us to, in every aspect of the of the phrase, get to know our Maker and our Savior in a deeper, richer, more personable way. And I think, to a great degree, the Key Ideas Bible Handbook goes a long way toward helping the reader understand more of that, and not just understand more of Scripture, but then be able to say, okay, not only do I understand this, but now I know where and how it applies specifically to my life. And in that regard, I guess this is not only a great book for young believers, but anybody who's really looking to go a little bit deeper. Well, exactly. Uh, It's not just for young believers, but for believers who have maybe been studying the Bible for such a long time that they've become top-heavy. And by top-heavy, I mean that their brains are full of knowledge, but maybe they're not doing so good spiritually. Well, this is the kind of book that can change that. And by the way, uh, I have to watch out for that, too, and I'm sure that you do as well. There's a lot of us that do so much studying of Scripture, and we get our minds so filled with the facts of the Bible that sometimes people have a tendency not to pay as much attention to their devotional lives. This book is devotional and inspirational from beginning to end. Yes, there's a lot of theology in it, but that theology is inspirational and life-changing. Well, the other thing, too, Ron, I think, is that sometimes, uh, and, and with no malice of forethought, I think sometimes we have been, and speaking for myself here, dismissive of certain aspects of Scripture. Not to say that we don't uh, value it or recognize it as the inspired Word of God, but rather look at certain passages and say, well, you know, all this genealogy stuff, I mean, you know, m- maybe that helps if you're going to write a book or something, but do I really need to know that? Does it really apply to me? A Levitical law. I mean, my goodness, how deep can we quickly get lost in the book of Leviticus? And yet, as we said earlier, this is not just a historical document. This is educational and applicational. And so to the degree to which it can help to sort of rekindle that flame of passion for reading and applying God's word, I think it's a, it's a great tool across the board, both for new believers as well as for the old folks like me. <laughs> Well, I certainly appreciate you saying that, and my prayer is that this would be a life-changing tool for everyone who's listening today. And uh, whether you're going through a genealogy or the book of Revelation or an epistle like the book of Galatians, all of it will touch your heart if you just take the chance and try it. And so the challenge is, are are you going to be brave enough to try it? Are you going to get out there and, and take a look at the book and go through the scriptures and let it change your life? You'll be better if you do. Well, and certainly the book makes the process a lot easier. So, uh, you know, with all the books that we review on this program, the number of guests that we come on, uh, a lot of them, and Jarrell can uh, can attest to this, wind up over here in the bookcase or given away. This one's going home with me. It's the Key Ideas Bible Handbook, Understanding and Applying All the Main Concepts, book by book. It is newly published by Harvest House, and its author has been our guest on this segment of Lifeline, Ron. Rhodes. And Ron, as always, great to have you on the show. Always an education. Keep up the good work, my friend, and we'll look forward to get you on again real soon. Ron Rhodes, by the way, you can order the book directly online through his website, ronrhodes.org. That's ronrhodes with an H dot O-R-G. 
And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. When you think about it, I think most of us that are married can agree that we tend to focus on the sense of happiness and satisfaction out of our marriage relationships and not necessarily looking at marriage from the viewpoint of the purpose of marriage based on the outcome of a God-centered kingdom marriage. Everyone no doubt agrees that a good marriage is more pleasant and beneficial than an unhappy one, but equally important, a good marriage is supposed to be a model of the heavenly union that God created. Joining us today on the program is the founder and president of the Urban Alternative. He's senior pastor at Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship in Dallas and speaker on the nationally syndicated program, The Alternative. Great to have with us today on the program, Dr. Tony Evans. And as always, Pastor, a privilege to have you on the show. I'm delighted to be with you. Thank you for having me. Let's talk about this new book that you've written, Kingdom Marriage, Connecting God's Purpose with Your Pleasure. It it strikes me as unique in that, unlike many of the books out there on the topic of marriage, you take us all the way back. In fact, you extrapolate examples of how each spouse, man and woman, um, should behave and treat each other based on that first union that we see, that union model between Adam and Eve. Tell us more about that. Often and unfortunately, marriages are not tied to God's purpose. They're just tied to uh, the pleasure that people want to get out of it, and there's nothing wrong with that. But when God created the first marriage, the first couple, brought the first two singles together, it was to fulfill a divine purpose. In fact, three purposes. Uh, He said, we're going to make man male and female. And first purpose would be that they would be a reflection of who we are, um, made in our image. Our image is a mirror. So we want to mirror in the physical realm what we are like in the invisible spiritual realm. Well, God is one God composed of three co-equal persons who are one in essence and yet distinct in personhood. The Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Spirit. But they make up one family or one Godhead. So what God wanted to do was mirror that in the creation of mankind. And in fact, when God relates to history, one member proceeds from the other. The Father sends the Son, the Son sends the Holy Spirit. So that's why uh, Adam came from Eve and a baby comes from, uh, 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 excuse me, Eve came from Adam and a baby comes from Eve because that's how history proceeds, like God proceeds into history. So God is God is looking for a mirror. So when you detach God from what marriage is, why marriage is, and how marriage works, the mirror becomes distorted. The second reason was for not only reflection but for replication be fruitful and multiply but multiply what not just multiply people multiply images god wants mirrors to produce new mirrors and so the idea of childbearing is to create mirrors that are a reflection of the parents who are a reflection of god then the third reason is for ruling and let them rule so men and women in the marriage and the development of families were to exercise dominion over what God created. So the reason why Satan wants to destroy marriage is not just because he wants two unhappy people. He wants to destroy God's purpose of dominion or ruling so that we wind up being ruled by him than ruling over the creation God has placed under our authority. You know, Pastor Evans, one of the complaints that we often hear from women who are frustrated in their marriage relationship, they'll say things like, well, you know, I got into this marriage and I understand from a biblical perspective that my husband is supposed to be the head of the family, but my husband 
husband shows no sense of responsibility whatsoever. He doesn't do a good job at work. Uh, he, he seems to not necessarily take charge when it comes to working with me and raising our children, things of this sort. And I'm struck by the fact that inside of the new book, Kingdom Marriage, Connecting God's Purpose with Your Pleasure, very early on, you extrapolate a very important lesson for men. And that is the notion that even before God gave Adam Eve, he gave Adam responsibility. Expand upon that, would you please? Absolutely, because if a man is not willing to be responsible under God, then he can't be properly responsible for the one God places under him. Mm. And so it would be the responsibility of the man and the accountability of the man to own responsibility under God. And that, therefore, God gave him a job, God gave him a home, the Garden of Eden, God gave him his commandments, and he gave him responsibility to name all the animals. He was to be a successful single before he could be a responsible husband. And uh, unfortunately today, far too many women are marrying men who have not owned that responsibility under God. In fact, the biblical definition of a man is responsibility under God. Exodus chapter 34, verses 23 and 24, God calls all the men of Israel to meet with him and to to give them instruction on how they were to to function as men and then he says then i'll send you back to your family because the family would be in jeopardy if the men failed and so god always starts with the man that's why in the garden god said adam where are you not adam and eve where are (laughs) y'all i guess this can also be an important lesson for women to understand that you know there's often this sense we hear it said all the time that a woman will marry a man she recognizes he has some shortcomings and faults, but thinks that once I marry him, I'll get him fixed. And in fact, as you're suggesting here, women should be watching very carefully as to the kind of man that they think might make a good husband, because their sense of responsibility, particularly in their relationship to God in single life, is oftentimes a harbinger or an indicator of what they're going to be marrying into, isn't it? Well, yes, certainly, and two things need to happen. First of all, you need to answer the question, if this man never changes, am I willing to live with him as he is for the rest of his life? Because what you don't want to do is you you don't want to project a change that may never happen. Secondly of all, he should have to pass the test of another man who is the kind of man that you respect and honor so that there's other eyes. It should be the father of the of the woman, but if it's not, some mature Christian man, so he's got to pass the test of another man and, and not just the emotional test of the woman who's in love with the man. A sense of uh, servanthood here is, is important. We certainly see that modeled throughout Scripture in relationship to uh, our relationship to God and God's relationship to us. We also see it demonstrated when it comes to the design for a marriage relationship. And oftentimes men are very easy to sort of default back to the, well, God set me up as the head of the family here, and so my wife must be subservient to me. But yet in the pages of Kingdom Marriage, you suggest that this sense of headship applies to both husband and wife. What do you mean by that? Well, first of all, we we, we have to understand that the First uh, Corinthians eleven three, God is over Christ. It says Christ is over every man. A man is over a woman. Everybody comes under of the authority of somebody else. So just as the husband claims headship over the wife, Christ claims headship over the husband. And Christ's headship over the husband trumps the husband's headship over the wife because you are 
obligated to the one at the top of this pyramid. And of course, Christ and God are perfect. But a man has a head. So if you're expecting your wife to submit to you, then she should see what it looks like when you submit to Christ. And if you're not submitting to Christ, then you shouldn't be shocked that you're having trouble getting her to submit to you because all she's reflecting is your lack of submission. So it is critical that men come under authority if they expect to be in authority. Uh, it's always struck me as interesting as uh, men are often uh, quick to remind women that they should uh, they should uh, be obedient to their husbands, and yet the, the continuation of that passage says, and husbands, you should love your wives as Christ loved the church. And of course, if we look at that model, we realize well, Christ so loved the church that while we were yet in our sins and uh, not walking in fellowship with him, that he, in fact, gave his life for the church. That certainly resets that whole that whole notion of the relationship then between men and women, doesn't it? Well, absolutely. It's, uh, it, it means that you must become your wife's savior. And the last time I saw a savior, he was on a cross. Mm-hmm. So if you're not willing to sacrifice at all, then you're not really willing, ready and willing to love like Christ loved. If you're just joining our conversation, a visit today with Dr. Tony Evans. Of course, you recognize the voice. He is speaker on The Alternative with Dr. Tony Evans, nationally syndicated on some 1,000 radio stations across the country. He is also senior pastor of Oak Clip Bible Fellowship in Dallas and the author of a new book called Kingdom Marriage, Connecting God's Purpose with Your Pleasure, newly published by Focus on the Family Books. We'll take a brief time out, come back to more of our conversation as our visit with Dr. Tony Evans continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to Lifeline on this edition. We are privileged to have joined us on the program, Dr. Tony Evans. Of course, Dr. Evans is senior pastor at Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship in Dallas, speaker on the nationally syndicated The Alternative with Dr. Tony Evans, and the author of a new book, Kingdom Marriage, Connecting God's Purpose with Your Pleasure. One of the things that you talk about in the book, Dr. Evans, as we mentioned before the break, is the sense of of learning to submit ourselves to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And I guess that's a really key component, because if we expect to be able to live out the marriage union in the fashion in which God called it to be, way back there in the Garden of Eden, we really need to understand what submission to God or Jesus' Lordship really means, don't we? Absolutely. It means what he says goes. Uh, why you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say, the Lord says. So that means I'm sub- I am committed to obeying him, and my decisions will reflect his decisions. So that means I want to know what he thinks about the things related to my life, my world, my family, my finances, and I bring his thinking to the table, to bear, when I deal with my responsibilities as a husband and a father. When I ignore that or don't care to learn about that, then what I'm saying is I'm not obligated to find out what my head thinks, even though I'm demanding that my wife and children find out what what I think. And so it becomes a conflict and it, and what it does is creates division and once you have division you've invited God out of the relationship see God can only function in unity he cannot he cannot be at home where there's disunity so Satan creates disunity because we are out of alignment in order to keep God at bay leading to ongoing conflicts in the in the home 
Let's talk about some of these um, examples of division or disunity within the marriage relationship. Uh, one thought that came to mind as I was reading your book in preparation for our conversation today, and again, for folks just tuning in, we're visiting with Dr. Tony Evans. He's got a new book out called Kingdom Marriage, Connecting God's Purpose with Your Pleasure. And Dr. Evans, a couple of weeks ago, a good friend of mine got up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom, stumbled, and busted his shin up against an exercise bike in the bedroom, and this is turned into a major ordeal that what seemed to be at first just a little scrape eventually got infected. Now it's becoming a wound that won't heal, and there's been multiple visits to the doctor's office and prescription of antibiotics and so forth, and it's it's still an ordeal that he's dealing with. And I'm struck in that example by um, one of the sections of the book where you talk about the comparison between physical wounds and emotional wounds and how even in that case, something that starts out to be basic or simple can grow into a festering open wound that can have really severe um, implications for challenges or problems in a marriage relationship. Tell us more about that. Well, absolutely. Um, and as you said, in the physical realm, wounds that may be simple once becomes infected can become very complicated and very damaging to our physical body. So the scars that we carry by things we say, attitudes we have, uh, actions we take can uh, start off maybe in our minds small, but when it gets infected, uh, it, it produces devastations in the relationship. That's why when there is a wound, it needs to be bandaged and uh, you, you got to put some ointment on it pretty quickly so that infection doesn't get in it. That's why the Lord doesn't want us to go to bed angry before he wants us to deal with it before the sun goes down because time will bring about infection when wounds are unaddressed. And so what we want to do is to make sure that we are caring for our mates, caring for our marriages, and doing it on a regular basis so that it's not allowed to uh, uh, deteriorate. Many couples go days, months, and then years without having addressed some things in their relationships that could have been solved easier earlier if they took it more seriously. So uh, it, take, it, it means prioritizing the well-being of the relationship as quickly as possible. And a lot of this also tends to snowball, as you're suggesting, and then that sense of, of being wounded turns into anger, bitterness, resentment, ultimately unforgiveness, and that can become a major roadblock in the success of any marriage relationship. But what do you say to the person listening right now who says, well, Dr. Evans, here's what you don't understand. I, I, I have a spouse that has hurt me and wounded me, and he or she has never taken the time to apologize. And I'm just so hurt and upset about all of this. How can I possibly forgive an unrepentant spouse? Well, there are there are two kinds of forgiveness. First of all, there is um, there is individual forgiveness where I release a person from a a wrong done to me, even though they've not asked uh, for forgiveness. At uh, one time, I was uh, a guy ran into my car. And, uh, and and then ran off and then uh, drove off. So here, I, I'm, I'm going around with a dent that I didn't create. And every time I look at that dent, uh, I'm reminded, I'm, I'm upset about what that man did who did not apologize and did not seek to right the wrong. But what that debt was doing, it was controlling me and controlling my emotions and controlling my feelings. So I had to release that person even though they, they, they hadn't apologized so that I wouldn't have to live with the debt. And that was a decision of my will. 
But what what that didn't mean was that I was reconciled with that person because sometimes people put those two together and those are two two they related but they're two distinct acts. On the other hand, there's transactional forgiveness where a person uh, I forgive a person and they have repented, which opens the door for reconciliation. So what this person is saying is there's there's individual uh, I'm having trouble forgiving them because there's no transaction. They haven't asked for forgiveness. But what I would recommend a person to do is to sit down with their spouse and say, one, you hurt me by doing A, B, and C whenever it was done. I'm still carrying the pain of that wound. I just want to let you know that I'm going to release you from that so that I don't walk around with a dent in my soul. Mm. I also want to let you know we can never fully be reconciled and have a meaningful, dynamic, growing relationship until you're willing to address the sin and infraction against me. That way you've defined forgiveness properly, but you've also clarified what it takes for reconciliation to occur. And there really needs to be then some sense of surrendering from both sides, doesn't there, in in the sense that the wounded or the the bruised spouse needs to surrender some of that anger and resentment that is a result of of the infraction and the individual who created the wound in the first place has to kind of surrender some of that ego that perhaps stands in the way from the ability to say, you know what, I recognize I hurt you and I'm sorry. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, the, the, the person who committed the sin needs to repent. And repentance, repentance is not just a word, it's a turning. So they should see actions, fruit, that demonstrates you really mean it. You really meant what you said by things you do that are different, that they can see, touch, taste, smell, and hear. We're obviously, Dr. Evans, in this short period of time, not going to be able to do much more than just kind of hit some of the highlights of uh, all of the wealth of insights that you offer inside the pages of Kingdom Marriage, Connecting God's Purpose with Your Pleasure. But before we leave you, I'd like to have you perhaps spend a moment and talk about a concept that you discuss at length in the book, and that is this notion of filling your spouse's love account. What exactly is that, and what are the benefits? Well, I, I, you know, when I get to couples, I, I tell the man to do four things, and I tell the woman to do one thing. I tell the man, number one, every day express something of value, something small of value that lets your wife know she matters, like a, 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 an unexpected phone call, a non-sexual hug, a note left in a inconspicuous place, a um, cupping her hand, something small but done regularly because men are torrid for being inconsistent that lets her know you are on my mind. Secondly of all, to pray with her daily. Uh, and, I, uh, and when I say daily, I mean regularly because I know you won't hit it every day. But but let her know that God is a part of this relationship and you're going to bring your relationship, your marriage, your family before God on a regular basis. Thirdly, give her one hour a week where she can vent, up to one hour. She can't take more than that, but one hour so that nothing is allowed to be built up. That means you don't get to be nagged, but she doesn't have to hold it in for weeks and months because she has this freedom where you're undistracted, no football games, baseball games, talking about golf anything else you she she can zero in on your eyes and she can share if if she's doing this every week well she won't need the whole hour after a while because then it won't have accumulated and then uh fourthly uh make sure you're dating her and by dating her i don't mean asking her what do you want to do today i mean you you doing things that are fun for both of you you can't discuss any problems on a date that's strictly for fun and you do it on a regular basis given the, the realities of your life then i ask the woman to do one thing make a big deal about his four things if he does them 
just celebrate the fact that he's showing you attention, praying with you, listening to you, dating you, because that will inspire him to keep doing it because he sees there's a great payoff. So everybody wins in that situation, and everybody's tank stay full, and nobody gets to run on empty and live on fumes. Some tremendous insights inside the pages of a new book by Dr. Tony Evans. It's called Kingdom Marriage, Connecting God's Purpose with Your Pleasure. Again, newly released by Focus on the Family Publishing. You'll find it at the usual suspects, Amazon.com. You can also order the book directly online by going to Pastor Evans' website, simply TonyEvans.org. That's TonyEvans.org. Well, Dr. Evans, as always, we certainly appreciate both the time and the wealth of insights and knowledge on God's Word that you share. Thanks so much for being with us today. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of Lifeline. Thanks so much for being with us. And if there was anything you heard on today's show that you'd like to hear again or share with a friend, grab a copy of the Lifeline podcast. Simply log on to kfax.com. That's kfax.com for the Lifeline podcast. Our producer is Wanda Sanchez. I'm Craig Roberts. Till next time round, remember, just don't keep the faith. Get out there and share it and make it a great evening. So long. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Communications, all rights reserved. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.